Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Today I am talking about a topic that I said I would never discuss on my podcast and that is home birth. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a practicing board-certified OBGYN who's had the privilege of helping hundreds of moms bring their babies into this world. I'm here to help you be knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 64. Thank you for being here with me today. So on today's episode, I am talking about home birth. And when I created this podcast, I actually said that I was never, ever, ever going to talk about home birth. And it is not because I am against home birth. I'm not. 
It's that I don't know home birth. I've never seen a home birth. So it didn't really feel right for me to talk about it. And also the purpose of my work has always been and will continue to be hospital birth. That is what I know. And that is what my work focuses on changing, improving, and making the best possible that it can be is is hospital birth. However, in light of coronavirus, there's been a lot of talk about home birth. And I also realized that a lot of women who listen to me may have considered home birth. So I decided that I was going to address it in a podcast episode. So what I'm going to do is give you information on home birth that's evidence-based, non-biased. I am not trying to sway your decision either way. I'm just giving you information. That's what I do best. So we'll cover today or you'll learn today, why do women choose home birth? Some reasons why women choose it. What are the characteristics of women who do choose home birth? We'll talk about, is it safe? What you should do if you're thinking about home birth, a little bit about what home birth entails, uh, society recommendations, uh, what ACOG says about home birth, and then I will end with my own personal thoughts about home birth. Now, the first thing that we need to do is that we need to clear up some terminology. I am talking today about planned home birth. So planned home birth is when you plan to give birth at home ahead of time. So it's not a surprise or something that happens by accident. You plan to give birth at home ahead of time and you plan to do so with a birth attendant, usually a midwife in the United States. It's most often a certified professional midwife. It could be a certified nurse midwife as well, although that's not as common in the United States. So I'm talking about planned home birth, which is a birth where you plan to give birth at home and with a birth attendant. I am not talking about free birth or unassisted birth. Free birth, also known as unassisted birth, is exactly like what it sounds. It's a birth where you give birth without an attendant present. And I will be very clear that I think free birth or unassisted birth is dangerous and irresponsible. Women have always, or mostly throughout time, given birth with an assistant present or attendant present. It's not a common phenomenon of human history for women to give birth without a skilled attendant present. I think unassisted or free birth is just flat out dangerous and irresponsible. So that I will say very clearly that I do not recommend. But today I'm talking about planned home birth which again is home birth with a skilled attendant present. Okay, so why do women choose home birth? Well, some advocates of home birth see hospital birth as a medicalization of what is a normally natural process. Birth is a natural process. It's not a disease. It's not a medical problem. And although folks recognize and acknowledge that hospitals are great for emergency situations, people who do home birth believe, and rightfully so, that most birth is uncomplicated. It is not an emergency. It's not a medical process. And what can happen is when low-risk birth 
in particular occurs in hospitals. There is, just because of the way hospital birth system is designed, there is a higher chance of loss of control over the birth process. There's a higher chance of unnecessary medical intervention, and that can potentially lead to undesirable outcomes. So folks who choose home birth tend to want a low intervention birth. So avoid inducing labor, avoid artificial rupture of membranes or breaking the water, avoid use of Pitocin, continuous monitoring, epidural, medications for pain relief, episiotomy, instrumental vaginal delivery, all of those things, cesarean birth. So people want a low intervention birth. Some people choose home birth as well because they feel like home is a more comfortable environment. It's familiar surroundings. It's relaxed. There can be more intimacy um, with just a partner or you can have other family members present, ever other friends present. It just creates a different type of an energy surrounding the birth. Also, some women choose home birth in a response to a past negative experience from a hospital birth. I've heard that many times that women choose home birth because they had such a really bad experience in the hospital. As a matter of fact, um, a few episodes back, I had a birth photographer on and she chose home birth because of a a bad birth experience in the hospital too, actually. So there is that possibility as well. And then the final reason is that some choose it because they want to be together with their baby. Hospitals have had a history. We've gotten better about this, but there's been a history at hospitals of separating moms and babies, and that can interfere with bonding and establishing breastfeeding and just those really important moments that happen in that first hour we know after birth and even longer. So those are some reasons why women might choose home birth. So when you look at women in the United States, who have a home birth. Um, First of all, home birth is not that common. It happens in about 1% of births in the United States. So in 2018, that's the last time we have data, it was 38,000 or so home births and 90% of those were planned home births. And this is the highest home birth rate that has been recorded since home birth was added to the birth certificate in 1989. And we believe the higher rates are attributable to increases in home births among particularly white women. Um, About 1.3% of white women had a planned delivery at home in 2018. It's a bit lower for other racial and ethnic groups, anywhere from 03 to 0.6%. And in addition to it mostly being among uh, white women. Women who had a home birth are more likely to be older. They've had a baby before. They have a normal body mass index and they live in like non-metropolitan or non-urban areas. The highest rate of home birth is in Pennsylvania and that's due to a large Amish population where they traditionally do home birth. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. 
From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. So let's go ahead and address the question of is home birth safe? And I'm gonna talk about the risk for baby, the risk for mom, and then the risk for transfer, okay? So those are the things we get concerned about when we think about the safety of home birth, risk for baby, mom, and then risk for transfer to the hospital. And I'm specifically limiting the information I'm going to discuss to studies that have been done in the United States because I feel that that's most applicable to the folks who are listening. So, and I'm just gonna go through a few studies here. So the first study that I'm gonna talk about is one that included 17,000 17, low-risk women who planned to deliver at home. And this was between 2004 and 2009 that this data was collected. And when you looked at these women, most of them were healthy. About 78% were multiparous, meaning that they had had a baby before. Most of them were above average education and income. And the information for this uh, study came from a database that was recorded by professional midwives. There was no data from hospital births that were available for comparison. So it's really just a summary of what happened among these 17,000 women. So when uh, the rates of medical intervention were looked at, they were consistently low, which is pretty consistent with home birth across the world. So the episiotomy rate was 1.4%. And then for folks who transferred to the hospital, assisted vaginal birth, 1.2% and cesarean delivery rate, 5.2%. So those are very low numbers. Then when you look at whether or not or how often moms were transferred, about 11% of transfers occurred during labor. So 11% of women were transferred to the hospital during labor or intrapartum. And then another 1.5% were transferred postpartum. So after birth, first time moms were more likely to be transferred than moms who had a baby before. So that was 23% for first time moms that were transferred versus 8% for moms that had a baby before. There was one pregnancy-related maternal death in this among these 17,000 women, and it occurred from a heart problem three days after birth. And then when looking at issues of um, problems for the baby, the rate of intrapartum fetal death, so death during the course of labor was 1.3 per 1,000 births. So that's 1.3 per 1,000 births. So then that would translate into about among those 17,000 women, roughly 17 babies died somewhere around there, a little bit more. And then for babies that were 
born alive, but then less than seven days of age passed away 0.41 per 1000 births. And then late neonatal deaths. So deaths that occurred anywhere between seven days of age and 27 days of age was 0.35 per 1000 live births. So all very low numbers. Now the risk of having bad outcomes for baby was higher in births to moms who were their first time baby, or if the baby was in a breach presentation or for women who had a prior cesarean birth. Okay. So looking at that one study of 17,000 low risk women, rates of medical intervention were low, um, about 11% were transferred one death and then low rates of issues that happened with mom. Okay. The second study is one that was a retrospective study from people in the United States. And what it did was it used birth certificate data to compare the outcomes of out of hospital birth. Now this one is a little bit different because it included both home and birth center births and it compared those to hospital births and it included about 3,200 women who chose an out of hospital birth. Among those, 1,968 were at home and 1,235 were at a birth center. So a little more at home, but fairly close in terms of the numbers. And then it compared it to 75,000 planned hospital births, okay? So it compared planned hospital birth with planned out of hospital birth and that out of hospital birth could have been at a birth center or at home. So when you compare the two settings, so planned hospital birth versus planned out of hospital birth, there was an increase risk of both fetal, so um, intrapartum and also neonatal death. So babies early in the beginning part of life. So in the out of hospital birth, it was 2.4 per 1000 births. In hospital births is 1.2 per 1000 births. So twice the risk of a fetal death if the birth occurred outside of the hospital. For neonatal death, that's at early death within the first 28 days of life. It was 1.6 for out-of-hospital birth versus 0.6 for hospital birth. So almost three times the risk uh, for neonatal death for out-of-hospital birth. However, Keep in mind that both of those numbers are very, very low. So the absolute risk, the difference in the groups is really, really small, okay? So the absolute risk, when you look at the risk between the different groups is very small. So although also 1.2 versus 2.4 sounds like a lot. When you do it across a thousand births or a lot of births, then it's actually a, a pretty small number. So yes, that study suggested an increased risk of fetal and neonatal death, but the absolute risk risk, meaning the chances that it'll happen for any given person are very low in both groups. A similar finding occurred when they looked at the risk of neonatal seizures and babies needing ventilator support. There was a higher risk for both an out-of-hospital birth, but again, the risk in both groups, the absolute risk is very, very small. 
Now, just like other studies, there is a major reduction in things like inducing labor, cesarean delivery, a major reduction in out-of-hospital birth. Out-of-hospital birth tends to have much fewer interventions, and this study found the same thing. So when you look at transfer to the hospital, about 16% of out-of-hospital births involved transfer to the hospital And those moms who were transferred were more likely to be first-time moms, all right? Okay, so the last study I wanna talk about is another retrospective study. And meaning retrospective just means they look back at data. It's not them collecting data going forward. So they pick a point in time and look backwards and collect information. And this one included information from 97,000 planned home births of a singleton baby full term. And in this particular study, the risk of neonatal death was fourfold higher for planned home birth than for hospital birth by a midwife. So it was 1.2 versus 0.3 deaths per 1,000 birth. But again, in both groups, the absolute risk is very low. So 0.3 deaths per 1,000 births in the hospital, 1.2 deaths per 1,000 births in the hospital. Those are both very low numbers, okay? And when they looked further to see which women were at the highest risk for having issues at home, the death rates were highest for women who were having their first baby over the age of 35. That death rate was 5.2 deaths per 1,000 births. For um, women having their first baby and were over 41 weeks, that death rate was four deaths per 1,000 births. And then a couple other areas where the neonatal death rate was increased were for women with a prior cesarean delivery, where it was 8.3 times higher. And women who had a breech birth or a breech presentation, it was 8.1 times higher. So overall, when you look at studies in the U.S., they pretty consistently show a higher risk of complications for baby with a home birth, but the overall risk is low for issues with the baby, or severe issues like death. The overall risk is low wherever you give birth. So whether you give birth at home or at a hospital, the overall risk for complications is low, but there's a higher risk of issues for baby, for babies born at home in studies that are done in the U.S. Now, I should note that there are other studies, including a very large study that looked at 500,000 home births, and this was across the world, and it actually showed no difference in outcomes, that things were the same, the outcomes were the same, whether or not babies were born at home or in the hospital. But we have to be careful because this study included systems where home birth midwives are very well integrated into obstetric care services. And that is not necessarily the case everywhere in the U.S. In fact, I would say that that is the exception rather than the rule. And so the final word that I'll say about planned home birth is that it really just depends on 
making sure you have, when you look at all the data, it depends on having the appropriate candidates. So low risk women who preferably have had a baby before the quality of the program, the training and experience level of the home birth provider, whether or not they have access to supplies and equipment, whether or not they have a good system for transfer to the hospital, including, I should say, good communication and relationships between the home birth providers and the hospital providers. And again, that's not always present in the United States. Okay. I know that was a lot. So hopefully that made sense. All right. So what should you do if you are considering a home birth? Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is think about why. So what is your rationale? Why are you considering a home birth? Is it that you are afraid of the hospital? Is it that you're afraid of interventions? Is it because you had a prior bad experience in the hospital? Is it that someone recommended it? So think about why you're considering home birth, what your rationale is. And I would encourage you to, to look at whether or not hospital birth in a different setting or a different way or with a different provider could overcome some of your objections. It's just something to think about. Again, I'm not trying to sway you either way, but you just want to look at both options equally. I will mention that when you're thinking about home birth, it's usually not covered by insurance and that can be anywhere from three to $8,000 out of pocket. Now, Home birth is only appropriate for certain candidates and any good home birth midwife will tell you that it's really appropriate only for certain candidates. And if you don't meet those criteria, then you're not a good candidate for a home birth. Now, this is not an exhaustive list that I'm going to give you. And some people kind of disagree on some of the things, but I think for the most part, people will agree. I think the biggest contention is a prior cesarean delivery, but for the most part, most people agree on these things as being criteria for women who can consider home birth. So number one, and this is very, very important, is that you understand the risk, the benefits, and the alternatives. It's just like anything else. It shouldn't be painted as one particular way. Everything has risk, benefits, and alternatives. So you should have an understanding of that very clearly before you go into a home birth or really any birth. It should be a single baby. So one baby with the head down, multiple births are not considered safe at home. So a single baby head down between 37 weeks and 41 weeks. The 41 weeks is also a point of contention. Some people say 42 weeks, but 37 weeks and 41 weeks. And the estimated weight is normal for where you are in pregnancy. No serious medical conditions, no hypertension, no severe anemia, no kidney problems, lung problems, no diabetes with insulin. Severe obesity is considered a reason not to do a home birth. You can't have any serious obstetric problems. So no um, long rupture of membranes, uh, birth centers or home birth providers will transfer you to the hospital if your water's been broken for a prolonged period of time. Everyone's a little bit different, but um, it, at least usually around the 24 hour mark is when folks start getting concerned. You can't have, again, preeclampsia, can't have any issues with the baby's growth, abnormal bleeding, baby being too large. If you have a pad 
past history of having postpartum hemorrhage after a birth, then you really should be in the hospital to handle any type of emergencies. You also can't have any contraindications to vaginal birth. So if you have any abnormalities with where the placenta is, like a placenta previa, then you should not do a home birth. Placenta previa is when the placenta covers the cervix and that can cause life-threatening bleeding to you and the baby. If you have active genital herpes, you shouldn't have a vaginal birth as well. A prior vaginal birth is preferable, spontaneous labor, so no um, inducing at, at home, and then no prior cesarean delivery. I will say that uh, the Canadian guidelines are a little bit different where they consider one prior cesarean acceptable as a, a circumstance where you can attempt a home birth. And then finally, you need to be close to a backup hospital in case anything happens. So you don't want to be super far away from a hospital that can give you the higher level of care if you need it. Now, ideally, if you do a home birth, you want to be in what's called a good integrated system. That is really essential for making sure that home birth is safe and making sure that when issues pop up with moms or babies, that there is rapid access to the hospital and the emergency services that the hospital can provide. Now, as I said before, in the United States, we don't have those systems very well in place. A place that does have it down pretty good is the Dutch system in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, about 10 to 15% of women give birth at home. It's, it's the highest rate of home birth in the world, I believe. And let me just give you a few characteristics of their system so I can give you an idea of what I mean by a very well-integrated system. So they have lots of midwives who are trained to do either home birth or hospital birth. And early pregnancy care is primarily done by midwives. If complications occur, then the midwife refers the woman to an obstetrician and the woman remains with the obstetrician for the rest of her pregnancy and she's not eligible for home birth. Um, and I should say as a backdrop that obstetricians in their system are mostly considered specialists in high-risk birth. Obstetricians do not do low-risk birth in the Netherlands. That's primarily for midwives. Okay. A second feature is that there are formal written agreements for collaboration between home and hospital birth providers. So those formal written agreements are in place and that provides a good foundation for relationships and communication between all parties that are involved. A really important part of that is that there is mutually agreed upon categories for risk. So they have clear distinctions for women who are low risk and clear distinctions or things that make women high risk and high risk women are promptly referred to an obstetrician. So when midwives identify any of those things, they escalate those women quickly. And mothers are used to or accustomed to knowing that very clearly if they have any of these issues, they're going to get transferred to a higher level of care because it's the more appropriate level of care. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. 
Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. And then the final thing is that there are formal protocols for home to hospital transfer and a timely transfer system. Okay. So formal protocols for when a transfer is going to happen. So folks know ahead of time to anticipate that someone is coming. Let me give you an example of this. So if a woman is at home and she's bleeding heavily, then the midwife would call to the hospital and say, Hey, I have made such and such. Here are her records. She's bleeding. Um, here's what's going on. And the hospital can be prepared or, Hey, I have missed such and such. And the baby's heart rate has been low. It's been, you know, in the nineties for um, five minutes or 10 minutes, then the hospital can open up the OR, have the OR available, have all the staff ready for an emergency cesarean if necessary. Those type of formal agreements and communication are not very common in the U.S., And then one more thing that is present in that system is availability of lots of equipment. So they have clean delivery equipment. They have sterile instruments at um, home births. About six weeks before a due date, insurance companies actually mail pregnant women what's called a maternity box, which has like pads and gauze and protector stuff and things for delivery and postpartum. And then the midwife brings other things like medications, neonatal resuscitation equipment, and then oxygen. So that is what a very well integrated system looks like. And that is how you have the safest home births possible. All right. Now, As far as what home birth looks like at home, in general, the approach to labor management at home births is just really allowing physiologic labor and birth to progress spontaneously. There's not a lot of medical intervention. Typically, babies are monitored by intermittent auscultation with a handheld Doppler device. Of course, there's no epidural, there's no IV pain medication, 
And instead, you rely mostly on non-pharmacological methods for pain relief. So massage, acupressure, showers, baths, walking around, all of those kinds of things, hypnobirthing to reduce pain and labor or reduce the sensation of pain or manage pain or however you want to call it. And women are typically encouraged to eat and drink however they feel like they want to, to follow the instinct of their, their bodies. Now, there will be a certain percentage of women who get transferred to the hospital. Different providers have different thresholds for transferring patients to the hospital. And it really, you know, just kind of depends. But some things that can lead to transfer during labor, the most common one is a need for pain medication. And this typically tends to be in first time moms. So need for pain medication, desire for an epidural. Some other issues that may cause transfer during labor are a persistent abnormal heart rate, Um, Labor has stopped or stalled and it's not responding to any non-pharmacologic interventions, fever or evidence of an infection, meconium, so baby has pooped in the, um, the amniotic fluid. If high blood pressure develops, then that would be a reason to transfer or an unanticipated situation like a baby flips from head down to breech during labor would be another reason to transfer during labor. And then after delivery, common indications for postpartum transfer are postpartum bleeding, complex tears in the vagina that need to be repaired with more anesthesia and more supplies and things in place, like a third or fourth degree laceration, a fever after delivery, high blood pressure after delivery, or if there are issues going on with the baby. So an abnormal, what's called neonatal assessment. Now, there are a couple issues with home birth that I do want to touch upon, and that is if you are group B strep positive, um, some home birth providers are able to administer IV antibiotics for group B strep positive women. Some are not. Some home birth providers do alternative things for women who who are GBS positive, but none of those have been proven. So the standard for GBS positive women is to get IV antibiotics wherever you give birth. And then the other issue is um, newborn care. In the hospital, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that there are two individuals that attend all deliveries. So there's always a nurse for mom, and then there's a, and then there is a separate baby nurse. So one is responsible for mom, one is responsible for baby. And it's um, recommended that that same sort of care happens at a home birth, that there's one person who's responsible for mom and somebody else who is responsible for baby. Very often home birth midwives will bring a second attendant to help with that. So Usually there is another person there, but it's difficult for any person to take care of two patients at once. So um, the midwife shouldn't really be responsible for both mom and baby at the same time. And then finally, as we close, uh, society recommendations, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists considers hospitals or accredited birth centers a safer location for birth than home because of the availability availability of physicians, transfusions, antibiotics, anesthesia, other resources for emergency um, care for moms and babies. So they recommend against home birth, however, support women's choices to give birth wherever they choose. All right. So just to recap, 
Women who choose home birth do so for a variety of reasons. It tends to be um, white women of higher socioeconomic status. As far as the safety of home birth, it is safe in most circumstances, meaning the risk of issues for mom and baby are low. However, there appears to be for studies in the United States, a higher risk for babies who are born at home compared to babies born in the hospital. If you are considering home birth, then you need to be a good candidate and you need to be and a good candidate. I mean, a low risk candidate, no medical problems, no obstetric problems, all of those things that I talked about earlier and a good integrated system. And I have seen integrated systems. We actually have a certified nurse midwife near where I live who does home birth and she has a good relationship with one of the doctors in the community as her backup system. So it needs to be in a good integrated system. Also remember that you're going to probably have to pay out of pocket and you have to plan for that possibility of transfer. As far as society recommendations, ACOG recommends against it. And then my personal feelings are, I of course support women's choices to give birth in a setting that feels right for them as long as they're They are aware of the benefits and risk of what's involved in any setting. Home birth does make me nervous because I feel like babies, when they're born, they're new, they may, you know, be a little bit more fragile. Um, So that's the part that makes me nervous. Babies not having access to the higher levels of care. I think the issues that come up with mom, typically there's time to get to the hospital, but sometimes babies can, things can turn south fairly quickly. And then the other issue is that I have seen some providers who have a questionable level of skill who are doing home birth and they wait too late to transfer. So by the time they get to the hospital, then I've seen some really unfortunate outcomes for mom and baby. It has not been anything that's frequent. I can count it probably on one time, on one hand rather, that it's happened, that I've seen these bad outcomes, but you know, just one of those kind of sticks with you. So that's the problem that I see is that we don't have that good integrated system. Sometimes physicians on the other side are nasty. When women get transferred for home birth, we don't make it a good place and, um, a safe and welcoming place for home birth people to transfer into the hospital. And that's part of the problem. I think too, why home birth providers may wait too late to transfer because they fear the backlash on the other side. So I see where that can happen, but that's the part that concerns me as well. And just like they're bad stories of hospital birth, they're bad stories of, of home birth. You can Google home birth gone wrong and, and find stories. So there's stories on, on both sides. So, you know, my final take is that home birth, of course, it does. It works for some women. However, it is not for all women. And for those women who still want or need hospital birth for some reason, I am still here. I am committed to making sure that women have a beautiful birth in the hospital and that in a hospital setting, they're treated with compassion, dignity, respect, all of the things that they deserve and that they're always placed at the center of their birth experience. So that's my personal feelings about home birth. 
All right, so that is it for this episode of the podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcast or wherever you listen, Spotify, Google Play. And I would love it if you leave an honest review in iTunes. Let me know what you think about the show. It also helps the show to grow and helps other women to find the show. Now, whether you're considering a home birth or a hospital birth, either way, you need to know some warning signs to look out for after birth. Actually, most of the problems associated with maternal mortality, about 60% of deaths actually occur after birth. So I want you to go to ncrcoaching.com forward slash warning signs, and I'll put that link in the show notes and warning signs is all together. Grab this free downloadable list of things that you can look for after birth, whether you give birth at home or the hospital, so you can be safe after your delivery. Now, next week on the podcast, it is a birth story episode. So, you know, those are always some of my favorites. So do come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, ncrcoaching.com, to get even more great info, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan, as well as everything you need to know about the birth preparation course. Again, that's ncrcoaching.com, and I will see you next week.